0: It would be great if you could have your Bibles or Bible apps open at uh, Luke chapter 7 as we continue our series through Luke, as we look at those particular encounters. Let us begin with prayer. Almighty Father, as you have given us your word, give us now your spirit that we may understand and live the things which we hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, the king of the universe, once marveled at the faith he found in a single person. When we hear the word marvel, you might think superheroes. But I wonder what makes you marvel What makes you amazed? Is it a place? The beauty of the night sky, a mighty waterfall, the mystery and power of a mountain. Is it a building, a physical feat, a painting, or a music performance? Who was this man that Jesus marveled at? Was it a religious man, a rabbi? Was it a disciple? It was neither of those. It was a Roman soldier, a centurion. Today we are taken to the city of Capernaum as we examine Jesus' encounter with the faithful centurion. The story begins in verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. Jesus had healed the man's hand at the beginning of chapter 6. He then retreated for a time of prayer, after which he chose his disciples. And then he went and taught his disciples, his wider group of followers, and all the crowds who had come from all over the region. This encounter continues the healing theme of the last two weeks, but is different in a couple of ways. Jesus heals the centurion's servant. But Jesus doesn't actually meet with the centurion or his servant face to face. If we think back a couple of weeks, four friends broke through a ceiling to enable their friend to encounter Jesus. No obstacle would stop them from bringing their friend to Jesus face to face. In this encounter, the centurion sent a series of delegates to talk to Jesus on his behalf. So it seems that something else is the focus of this encounter. It's not necessarily the miracle or the servant who is healed. What we see is Jesus speaking to the crowd who witnesses these conversations and Jesus points them to the centurion as an example of faith. And Jesus continues to speak to us today through this encounter. The second difference is that the centurion was not a Jew. And he's not just any Gentile. He's part of the occupying force. And so he would have been seen as the enemy. Why would Jesus even think about helping a centurion Even if the servant was a Jew, we get a sense that Luke is demonstrating that Jesus has come to save not just Israel, but the Gentiles as well. As Paul wrote in the letter to the Corinthians, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Through this encounter, we learn about the true meaning of worthiness, power, and authority and faith the encounter continues in verse 2 there in capernaum a centurion servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die this was a serious situation we might joke about man flu and how bad it is but this servant was so ill that it seemed his death was imminent. A centurion was a Roman military officer responsible for about 100 soldiers. He was a person of significance and wealth. We get our first insight into his character because he highly values his servant instead of treating him as an object, just another piece of property. He values him as a person and wants the best for him. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. The centurion hears about Jesus. We don't know who tells him about Jesus. We don't know what they say about Jesus. And at this moment, we don't know yet what the centurion thinks about Jesus. We only know what he does next. He sends some elders the senior members of the local synagogue, to speak on his behalf. Why did he do this? Why didn't he go himself? It seems that the centurion thought that he was unworthy to come into Jesus' presence and make this request. There were too many barriers, cultural barriers, religious barriers, political barriers for the two to meet. We see the centurion's humility as he sends others to speak on his behalf. I wonder if you've ever needed a maintenance job or a renovation job done at home. At the moment, we all know how hard it is to get a good tradie. So you, ask, you might ask a friend for a recommendation. And if they know someone who's really good... It's even better if they offer to contact them on your behalf. You might not get a better price, but at least you get your foot in the door and a much better chance of getting the job done well in a timely fashion. We use brokers all the time to help us get things done. And this is what the centurion does with the group of elders. They were his foot in the door with Jesus. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. How could the brokers convince Jesus to say yes to the centurion's request? Well, they smoothed out the obstacles, the differences between the two men, emphasising the centurion's worthiness to receive Jesus visit even though he was enemy the elders emphasized that he loves israel and has even enabled and encouraged the worship of god through the construction of the local synagogue we don't know where the centurion was in his personal journey of faith but he has at least expressed solidarity with the jewish people and their faith how does Jesus respond? So Jesus went with them. Jesus agrees to go to the centurion's house. This was not without some risk. There was a risk that he would become ceremonially unclean by visiting the house of a Gentile. He also risked more criticism from those who thought it was totally inappropriate to visit the house of a Roman soldier And that's even if the person he was actually going to help was a Jew. But we only need to look back into the previous chapter at what Jesus had just been teaching to get an answer for that question. Jesus had said back in chapter 6, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Love your enemies and do good to them. Why did Jesus go? Did he go because Jesus thought the centurion was worthy? It certainly seems the elders were trying to convince Jesus of the centurion's worthiness. But the worthy one in this encounter is Jesus. Jesus is merciful. Jesus is loving, kind and compassionate and Jesus will use this encounter to teach about faith, to teach those who are listening and to teach those who would come. I wonder if we sometimes try to prove our worthiness to God, that we are worthy, deserving of his love. But as much as we try to do this, we just can't do it. Because we have all sinned, we have all fallen short. It is only in Jesus that we are made worthy. Or sometimes, does our sense of unworthiness stop us from coming to God? Do we think that we are so unworthy that God is so far away from us. You may have heard some people say that the roof of the church would fall down if they entered it. But this is a false barrier. It's true that sin is a barrier between us and God. But the good news is that Jesus has overcome that on the cross. Jesus has done everything necessary for us to be reconciled to God. Well, Jesus is on his way to see the centurion's servant when he stopped again. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. Once again, the centurion expresses humility, sending the message that he doesn't deserve the honour of welcoming Jesus into his home, or even seeing him in person for that matter. It now seems apparent that the centurion regards Jesus as a godly man, a holy person, and he understands what it means for Jesus to come to his house, a Gentile's house a Roman soldier's house even the centurion doesn't want to put Jesus into that position the message from the centurion continues but just say the word and my servant will be healed for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes I say to my servant do this and he does it we now get an insight into what the centurion thinks about Jesus. He compares Jesus' power and authority to his own. Just as the centurion gives orders and they are implemented, Jesus' words carry a similar authority. The centurion believes that Jesus speaks and it happens. Jesus only has to say the word and the servant will be healed. He doesn't have to see the servant, he doesn't have to touch the servant, he doesn't have to speak to the servant face to face. Jesus only has to speak and the servant will be healed. You may not be surprised that health professionals are often critical of medical dramas on television. One of my favourite shows was ER, set in the emergency department of a busy Chicago hospital. Now, when a patient arrives critically unwell to emergency, lots of things have to happen. Examinations, blood tests, x-rays, scans, procedures, treatments. All of these things take time, but that doesn't really work well on a television show. So my main criticism of ER is that you only ever see the doctors and nurses say what needs to happen You never actually see it happen. They speak the word, and it's assumed that it's done. And so this is what the centurion believes about Jesus. Jesus speaks, and it happens. We're reminded of the power of God's word expressed in the creation story. The pattern in Genesis chapter 1 is God said... And there was. God spoke and it came to be. Jesus' words carried the same power and authority. We've already seen that Jesus has the power to heal because he has authority over sickness. He has authority over the Sabbath. His teachings have authority. And we see his power and authority on the cross as he defeats the power of sin and death. Do we have the same belief in Jesus' power and authority that the centurion had in this encounter? When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turned to the crowd following him. He said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well both Luke and Matthew use the Greek word thamadso, which we translate as marveled or amazed to describe Jesus' response to the centurion's faith. The only other time this word is used to describe Jesus' response to others' faith is in Mark chapter 6, when he marvels at the lack of faith in the people of Nazareth, where he grew up. Jesus appears to be deliberately contrasting the faith of the centurion with the lack of faith of many in Israel. The centurion was one of the most unlikely people to amaze Jesus. He was a Gentile, a Roman soldier, stationed to subject Israel to the Roman emperor's rule, to maintain peace and order so that more tax could be collected and sent back to Rome. He was a man of war, promoted for his skills in fighting. Not exactly the resume you'd expect for becoming one of the great examples of faith in the Bible. We don't know how the centurion came to this point, but there he is in Capernaum, a miracle of God's grace, And he's a first fruit, a foreshadow, a sign of what Jesus had come to bring about. He was a living illustration of what Matthew adds in his version of this encounter, that many will come from the east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. The centurion is also a reminder that while we might look on the outward appearance, the Lord looks on the heart. The centurion is a living example of what Jesus had just taught about faith. Again, if we look back into chapter 6, we look at Jesus' teaching on faith. This is what he said. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. Jesus invites us to have a faith that is well built, that's built on a foundation of trust in Jesus. Jesus is not as impressed with titles or degrees or achievements as we might be. But he is impressed with those who really do humbly believe in him. Billy Graham once said, God will not reward fruitfulness, he will reward faithfulness. The centurion was faithful. Jesus points to him as an example of faith that we can learn from, 2000 years after this encounter happened. But unlike the centurion, we can come directly to Jesus. We don't need a broker. And it's not because we can be confident in our worthiness or be put off by our sense of unworthiness, but because we can be confident that Jesus is the worthy one and by his death and resurrection. He makes us worthy. Like the centurion, we know that Jesus has power and authority over all things, and so we can trust him in any situation or need we encounter. And like the centurion, Jesus invites us to be people of faith, believing that he is the truth, following his way, and experiencing abundant life now and in eternity. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of the faithful centurion. We thank you for this encounter that we can hear and learn about 2,000 years after it happened. Help us to be people of humble faith. Help us to acknowledge and trust in jesus power and authority help us to accept all that jesus has done for us on the cross so that we might build our lives on the strong foundation of faith and go out and live that faith and share the good news on our front lines we pray this in jesus name amen